Hello, my name's Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. For this episode, we're doing something a little different. I have with me Johnny Clark, founder and editor of the Design Air, a well-known airline product and design news site. Johnny has worked as a senior first officer for one of Europe's leading airlines and also writes for the Design Air now into its ninth year. He also consults for airlines on brand concepts and liveries and is business development director at Inc Global, one of the world's leading travel publication companies. Throughout his career, Johnny has worked with more than 50 different airlines, working alongside branding agencies and marketing teams to help develop some of the world's most recognisable airline brands. I can't think of anyone better to have a conversation with about the future of flying from a passenger perspective and what's exciting in the world of PAX-X right now. Johnny, welcome to the show. Hi, Joe. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you. It's quite the intro. (laughs) Yeah, it was a bit of a mouthful, but uh, it's wonderful to have you here and uh, it's going to be really exciting. You know, I'm a bit of a PAXX geek, so I'm really delighted to have you on and be able to have a chat about seats and stuff. (laughs) It's nice to be able to share it with someone else rather than just my dog. So it's good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, most of us haven't flown in quite some time. Um, You know, the borders are slowly opening back up and the UK's very narrow green list promises to be expanded soon. But uh, for most of us, I think we're starting to think about planning some travel and uh, starting to think about how we'll get there. So what for you is exciting you right now in terms of passenger experience? You know, what's already here or is on the way coming soon that we should all look forward to as we start getting back into the sky? Yeah, it's um, hopefully going to be an exciting time. Um, I, like everyone else, am trying to start planning my trips. Um, I think probably there's there's... The more it's more about the return to normal than uh, anything new or, or, or exciting happening. I think, for example, we're starting to see green shoots of it, like Turkish Airlines talking about the return of their chefs on board. Um, we've got so many airlines bringing back hot food and economy and coach, which is great. Um, there are some new entrants. Uh, so, for example, the uh, Adiant Aerospace seat, which is just uh, uh, about to be launched on Hawaiian and maybe potentially Qatar Airways. Uh, let's see. Um, which is obviously the reverse herringbone seat. So if you know the, the Cirrus or the, the Super Diamond seats, et cetera, it's, it's very similar to that, but it's been built from the ground up. So it should be exciting to see that this year. Um, there's also a few things like, for example, um, I don't know if you've managed to travel over, over lockdown, but for example, British Airways in the lounges has been doing a la carte at table service. Um, so hopefully that will stay and remain because that's obviously a lovely enhancement to, to the lounge product definitely and I, th- I, th- I think for a lot of airlines right now they're they're right sizing their their fleets so we're seeing a lot of uh, airlines sadly like bridge airways losing their 747s and the a380s being grounded potentially um forever by some airlines um but with that creates consistency and that's what's lovely to see is that most airlines are now they've had probably 16 months to try and align a lot of their hard products so whether you're in economy or premium or business uh, maybe first um the product is the same so so we're starting to see a lot more alignment so so it'd be nice to know that when you jump on a plane it's going to be one of those brand new shiny ones rather than the old ones 
definitely. I think there's a definite youth coming to the global airline fleet that uh, maybe we've not had before. And uh, unfortunately, that does mean fewer first class seats um, because I think, you know, a lot of the more modern planes, the, the business class is that good that they maybe didn't feel that they needed first. But, uh, you know, for most of us, that's a bit of a, a pie in the sky dream to be flying some of those really ultra premium products anyway. Um, but something I am planning to fly ASAP is um, one of these game-changing long-haul narrow-body aircraft. Um, you know, this is a real emerging trend, and I know some passengers are finding it quite challenging to vision themselves on a narrow-body for multiple hours. But, you know, the A321LR is already proving its capabilities. Throughout the lockdown, we've seen some really unusual flights. Um, you know, there was a TAP flight that was seven or eight hours in length. Aer Lingus already is flying transatlantic with its A321. And, of course, JetBlue is coming to Heathrow in August, which is really exciting. Um, so, I mean, have you ever flown a long-haul narrowbody? And what would you say to those who really don't enjoy the thought of, of going maybe seven or, or more hours on a, a, a single-aisle aircraft? I guess there's, there's two schools of thought for this, but the main one is, I mean, for everyone traveling, we sp spend probably 95% of our time in a plane in the seat. So as long as the seat is comparable to a wide body or a narrow body, the passenger experience is going to be very similar. I think most people have actually probably a perception of these smaller aircrafts just not having the range. And it's almost a psychological play that they're looking at themselves going, I'm in a very small aircraft going across the Atlantic. Is it going to make it? <laughs> and it's obviously, and, and, and it's, a, it's, it's an understandable question because we've all grown up with these larger wide body jets tra transferring us from, from continent to continent. And now all of a sudden these, these smaller aircrafts uh, are around and, and have the same capabilities of flying us, you know, trans Atlantic or, or you know, across the Pacific or, or transcontinental in some, re uh, some instances. Yeah, it's a, I think it is a perception thing. And I guess this is kind of what people went through a few decades back when the um, twin jets started flying transatlantic. You know, it was four engines for long haul. Then all of a sudden it was two engines for long haul. And I can imagine there was a kind of mental barrier to that as well that took some time to get over. But, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it personally. I, I think JetBlue have marketed it as more of a private jet experience. And, you know, perhaps being on a plane that's got less than 200 passengers or around 200 passengers maybe there is an appeal to that rather than being stuffed on a, a triple seven with sort of three or four hundred other people but uh, we will see um, I know we've seen some really cool stuff at the pointy end of the plane you know there's not just one product that lies you flat in a narrow body now there's several and I think JetBlue's mint suites you know they look really cool and um, Stelia are bringing this opera concept which is very much like JetBlue's but in the opposite direction <laughs> So, you know, all that sounds great. But what about those that are traveling on a budget and are sat in the back? Is that going to be worse than being on a wide body? Well, for, for economy, it doesn't really matter which airline you're, you're flying or which aircraft you're flying. It's, it's still much of a muchness. I mean, most um, airlines look to their business class or, or their premium economies as a halo product. That's where they set their stall. Uh, economy, because of the scale of the product, um, you're always just going to get a meal, your IFE, a seat, potentially, you know, a pillow and a blanket. That will be it. Um, there are some 
new issues that are going to arrive from having these narrow-body long-haul aircraft. And that's, that's going to be interesting to see how airlines adapt over the next few months and years with the service. For example, um, if you look at even a, a really dense triple seven, you know, you've got 10 abreast in economy. You have two aisles, which means that at maximum, you've got five passengers in any row using one aisle. In a narrow body, you've got six. So suddenly you're actually finding that you're going to see a little bit more traffic going down that single aisle than you would on a, on a wide body. When it comes to service, um, naturally, these are going to be used transatlantic. So one of the hops is most likely going to be a red eye. You're going to have to serve, you know, 120, 140 passengers in economy um, in one go very quickly using just one aisle. So the service is going to have to adapt. And the one thing that probably people haven't thought about is the toilets. So I would uh. actually recommend everyone go to the loo before you get on the plane. Because <laughs> on, on these, for example, JetBlue's aircraft, fantastic mint product, fantastic economy product. They've really invested in it. And it's going to be a bit of a game changer, I think, for, for Transatlantic. Um, but they've only got four toilets on this A321. And when you compare that to a wide body, let's say, for example, TAP, um, their A330neo has nine uh, wow. toilets. The, their A321 uh, long range has only four as well. So the amount of passengers using those is going to be much higher. And on a transatlantic, everyone's had their three hours sleep and then they all wake up wanting to use the toilet before they land. So queues are going to be bigger. So there's going to be all of these small adjustments to what the passenger experience is going to be like that people are going to have to adapt. And I think the airlines can really help with that as well. Definitely. I think there's, um, yeah, it's a lot of new stuff to manage, you know, excellent food for thought there. Um, I was looking into the seat itself and in terms of the pitch and width of seat you get on an A321LR, it is actually comparable. You know, in so in many cases, it's greater than that on a wide body. Um, just as a random example, I looked at the Aer Lingus economy seat, which offers between 31 and 32 inches of pitch, 18 inches of width. Um, you compare that to for example, a British Airways 777, that's 31 inches of pitch and 17 and a half inches of width. Um, you know, the only aircraft I found that was actually comparable in terms of the amount of real estate you get is the A380 um, in economy. And not many of those are left <laughs> flying around at the moment. So unless you're traveling Emirates, you're probably in a worse seat, actually. Um, but that's really interesting food for thought on the, the service and the lavatory issue. I think, you know, that's some challenges that uh, airlines are going to have to overcome with some excellent cabin service. <laughs> <laughs> so moving away from the long haul narrow body, um, I just wanted to really pick your brains. You are a, an absolute guru of hard product design and amazing passenger experience. So if you could go today and fly any product past or present, which would it be and why? Oh, that's a brilliant question. Um, so there's probably a couple. Um, the, the most unusual one would be actually the Boeing 377 Stratocruiser. You might have to Google that. Ooh. But this was almost the original double-deck aircraft. Um, it had a, a bar in the in the, the rear, sorry, the rear lower part of the aircraft. And then in the on the top, they had uh, sleeping berths and the normal seats as well. It was it was really the jet set era. 
this was where it all kind of came to life. Um, and then following on from that, maybe, for example, the uh, I think it was called the Captain Cook Bar on the Qantas 747. Yeah. You know, this is the bubble. This is the exclusive upper deck. This is how it was designed as a 747. It was always meant to be this kind of social space. So obviously, I'm a little bit too young, unfortunately, to have been able to travel on that. But I would have loved to do that. And then maybe the Concorde. Um, oh my goodness! I never flew on absolutely. It. My <laughs> uncle, my uncle, ah, oh, he he flew on it quite a few times, and he always brought back the memorabilia. And I still have the the letter opener, the the sterling silver letter. Opener, oh, fantastic! Um, which is which is a lovely keepsake. And I was I was gutted that I I wasn't able to to fly on it. Um, as for today airlines that I'm clamoring to get back onto. ANA is 777. I still haven't managed to experience that yet. That's a fantastic new product. Um, you know, it's got one meter wide seats in business class. The whole cabin has been beautifully designed. Um, and A380s, you mentioned it earlier. I'd <laughs> love to try and get on as many of those as I can because obviously their days are potentially numbered. Definitely. Um, and, and obviously the reason why is because the passenger experience has been so good. That doesn't mean that they're a commercial product, but they're, you know, they're much loved by passengers too. Brilliant. I mean, for me, I think I'm with you there on the ANA 777. Um, we had a wonderful conversation with um, the designers. Um, I'm sure you know Acumen Design Associates. And uh, yeah. that was the first time they said that they'd ever been asked to do a complete nose to tail refresh of the whole plane. You know, normally they get called in to do a particular cabin or a particular product. And this time it was the whole plane. And they found that really exciting to deal with. Um, and actually, those one meter wide seats are Originally, they'd intended those to be for a couple of people. So maybe you could travel with your kid or, you know, your husband could come over from a different seat. Um, but they had some real issues with certification. And in the end, they're only certified for one person. But the bonus there is that you get this enormous seat all to yourself. And, you know, if you want to put your feet up or cross your legs or, you know, kind of laze around, then there's all the space to do that. And I think it's a, a wonderful product for that reason. It's kind of very J Japanese, but it's Japan meat the western demands of the world as well <laughs> absolutely i mean it's um they brought in i think it was kengo kuma um who's obviously a, a well-known and respected uh, japanese architect and designer um and th the proof is in in the entire cabin it's just so seamless between all of the different um all you know from first to economy that the, the design language throughout the entire aircraft is beautiful and that's actually an emerging trend that, that i think we're going to see a lot more of is um, nose to tail design. It's so important that airlines really stand out now. And the only way that they're going to be able to do that is by bringing their brand to life in, in new touch points. That's going to be in the galleys, it's going to be in the loos, it's going to be in the seats and in the cabin itself. So it's an exciting time to, to, to start to see these airlines really embrace it. I think the other one on my absolute wish list is the Emirates 777 uh, first class product. Um, you know, I'm a bit of an introvert and I'm a bit of a, I, I don't particularly like people <laughs> most of the time. So, you know, for me, that whole fully enclosed thing, it's just fabulous, isn't it? You know, it's like a, a tiny little hotel room. And, you know, I keep reading about this seat that does a zero gravity position where you're just the most comfortable you can ever be. Um, and I love the fact you can call the flight attendants from the tablet and they'll post your food and drink through a little slot in the door if you don't want to actually see them so it's like you know you could be completely antisocial for as long as you want and just have this little space all to yourself which is fantastic so uh, yeah that's definitely one on my bucket list 
very good choice. Very good choice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good to speak seats. But uh, let's talk about future travel a little bit. Um, you might have heard that I'm interviewing Qatar Airways Group CEO Akbar al Baka this week. Um, by the time this podcast goes out, I will probably be mid-interview. Um, slightly nervous, but really looking forward to a conversation with him as well. Um, but, you know, this airline is one that's always pictured itself as being the ultimate in luxury. Um, what are they doing really well in terms of cabin products and where do you think they could improve? This is a real tricky one. Um, good luck with the interview. I'm sure <laughs> you'll you. be amazing. Um, <laughs> I've, I've always watched Qatar um, for, for many, many years. And I think that they're a fantastic airline at doing PR. You know, they've built this fantastic halo around them. And, you know, they, they've very much advertised themselves as a five-star airline, obviously from Skytrax. That's a questionable, um, <laughs> but understandable rating for most airlines. And you know what? Of all of the airlines, you know, Qatar Airways, um, sorry, Qatar Airways really deserves to be a five-star airline. You know, the Q Suite, which they've launched to much fanfare, um, has been a great PR machine for them. There is a little bit of inconsistency in the fleet, though. So, for example, right now, the, um, the Q Suite is only in about, I think it's around 50% of their long-haul cabins. The other cabins have a mix of seats. So you've got anything from the Super Diamond to potentially the, the new Ascent seat as well, um, which means that there's a bit of inconsistency in a passenger experience because most flights with Qatar Airways are going to be a one-stop. So you're always going to have two different aircraft, um, which means that your first flight might be on a slightly different product to the second flight. Yeah. So I, I'd love to see Qatar Airways really look to try and create synergies in their, in their fleet and their service. Um, and that's very much talking about business class, which is what Qatar Airways very much does. They don't yes. necessarily talk about their economy class product, which is still very good, but it's comparable to so many other airlines out there. So when you look at the quality of the food and drink, you know, you can look at Turkish Airlines or Singapore or Cafe, and you're going to have a very similar experience. Um, in the 787s, for example, you still have the nine abreast economy, which is industry standard. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but when you compare that to the JALs or the ANAs who have eight across, you know, they've still managed to exceed the passenger comfort that Qatar Airways offers. Yeah. So I'd love to see more investment potentially into the back end of the plane. And then the missed opportunity is potentially premium economy as well. Yeah, definitely. So We've seen Emirates kind of tentatively put their, their their toes into the world of premium economy. And I think, you know, by looking at the the reviews and um, the response by Emirates, they were very surprised and delighted by how well it was received. <laughs> and I, I, th I think Qatar Airways may have to follow suit at some point. You know, they are a one world carrier. Many one world carriers do have a premium economy product. Yeah. Um, they're, they're probably afraid that it will dilute from their business class pro proposition. But I think that actually you will build more brand loyalty from those who travel economy, who will never really ever be able to afford the business class fare, that they would potentially use their miles to upgrade to a premium economy uh, product. And that's what it is. It should be seen as a value add to the airline. So it'd be interesting yeah. to see the future for, for, for Qatar Airways if they're going to firmly stay as a two-class product like Turkish Airlines has, or whether they're going to look to diversify. They've lost the first class from the A380. Yeah. Um, so now they've gone down to a two-class two, two class, 
um, proposition. So will they bring in a third class? It'd be yeah. interesting to see. That's something I will definitely pick up with uh, Mr. Albaca when I speak to him this week. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting that Emirates, since they brought in the premium economy, you know, they've said that it's the most profitable cabin on the whole aircraft. And that includes business class. You know, I think because you lose so much real estate when you have a big business class suite and you've got to up your game on the service side to such a great degree, you know, it ends up being less profitable than this premium economy cabin. And it's not just them that have said it. I think Lufthansa said it's their most profitable cabin as well. Um, so, you know, in this kind of coming out of the pandemic situation, I think Qatar may have to look, like you say, again at this product, although he has been very adamant in the past that he will never, ever introduce premium economy. But we'll see. <laughs> Maybe he's changed his mind. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that's the great thing about, you know, crisis breeds opportunity. And I think that used to be the hymn sheet for many, many airlines was like, we know the formula that works for us. We're going to stick with it. Um, you know, the look at the US carriers, they never had a problem filling their aircraft. They were always full. But now they've had to like, re-look at their entire business proposition, go, how are we going to fill these planes once again? You know, we need to start marketing again. We need to start encouraging people to fly. And I think every airline is going to have to build from the ground up and understand who they want to be over the next five to 10 years. A lot of airlines have been laser focused on month to month. Yeah. But now is the now is the chance for airlines to go, okay, we can see that the pandemic is starting to ease in certain areas and we're starting to see travel return. So they can use that as an understanding for future um, for the future in, for example, Asia or Africa or India. We know that it will return. Yeah. So how does an airline prepare for that and what do they want to stand out as? You know, are they going to be a premium carrier? Are they going to be the most affordable carrier? How are they going to, to, to stand out from their competition? It's an exciting time. It is. It's almost like reinventing themselves. And, uh, you know, I've really enjoyed listening to the CEO of Etihad, who is now positioning that airline as boutique. You know, I mean, who would have thought it? We always thought that they were going to be a big hub and spoke airline like Emirates. And now they're kind of going down the, the Gulf Air route. So, uh, yeah, definitely exciting times. Um, so we're getting close for time. But just to kind of finish off today, um, you know, we've spoken a lot about the passenger experience on the plane. But obviously, part of the travel experience is the airport as well. Um, you know, and what I'm hearing right now is that because of the extra documentation that has to be checked and the fact that it has to be done in person, we're going to be expecting a lot of queues and a lot of delays at the airports that we're visiting. Um, what do you see as the solution to this? How can we get people back on the plane without a complete nightmare at both ends of the journey? Well, it's the airport is the is the hardest part. Once you're on the plane, things run smoothly, and 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 airlines have really managed to understand how um, the pandemic has affected the travel journey for them. The airports are the the challenge. This is where airports have always been designed for for fast flow of passengers through a building. That's what they were designed for. That's how they've operated for years. Now we're adding in extra checks and extra uh, complexity. We're, we're creating bottlenecks through areas where there shouldn't be ones. So, for example, anything from check-in 
um, to security and then border control on the way back. And this is where we're starting to see a lot, especially in the UK, we're starting to see a lot of uh, complaints about big queues. I actually traveled back from Brazil um, just after Christmas and I was in a queue for two hours. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen we've seen the, the, the stories about, you know, Border Force trying to do everything that they can. But there were only two people oh. dealing with hundreds <laughs> of passengers at the time. So there is more that can be done. I, but this kind of highlights the silo nature of the aviation industry. Airports, airlines, Border Force, designers, they all work in their own bubbles and they're not necessarily talking to each other. Um, we can design our way out of this pandemic, but that does, that's not to say that there might not be another one in the future. So we need to take learnings from where we're at and and, and develop it. And what's been really lovely to see, um, my, my home airport is Heathrow. And, um, you know, I saw in the, the news recently that they're thinking of using Terminal 3 for the uh, the red countries, the, the, the ones where you have to quarantine in a hotel. Yeah. So they're actually looking at using different terminals for different processing, which actually takes some of the stress and some of the burden out of the usual operating terminals for those who've just taken a, a lovely leisure travel um, trip to Portugal, for example. They don't want to be stuck in a queue with everyone that's come back from India. No, exactly. <laughs> So, so yeah, so so air, airports are trying to do everything they can, but every single element, every single um, uh, part of the passenger experience has to work together. And, mm. you know, if, if one small element falls down, it disrupts the entire passenger experience, unfortunately. So I think in the short term, we will, we will still see some queues. And, yeah. you know, I'd rather, I'd rather queue on arrival than have to wait on a plane before that queue settles down you know everyone once they've landed the first thing they want to do is stretch their legs and I think holding people on a plane isn't going to necessarily work so you know we just need to be a little bit respectful and and obviously um travel only if you have to right now is still kind of the, the messaging but you know we're all eager for a vacation and I think as as we start to 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 speed up um our return to normal I hopefully the airports will follow suit yeah, I hope so. And uh, it's a shame Tom isn't here this week because he's just had that exact experience. You know, he flew into um, Heathrow from Germany last week to go and visit his folks, um, you know, and he's going through the whole quarantine thing because Germany is still an amber country. So, uh, you know, he's having to do the test to release and everything, which is costing a whole lot of money. But he said at the airport, you know, there was a separate queue for red list arrivals, but it was only about a metre away from the people from the other countries. And, you know, there were people in that queue that weren't wearing their mask properly. And it was quite a nerve wracking experience. So I think, you know, this idea of having a separate terminal is really interesting. That could work well. Um, And in my opinion, the thing that really needs to be cracked as soon as possible is some sort of digitization of the whole process. You know, we, we, we used to check in online. We used to avoid going to desks because we could get our boarding pass at home and just walk straight towards security. You know, and now there's kind of another layer of process where we've got to bring our locator form or our our test results and show them in person to somebody. And it's kind of just almost like we've gone backwards 20 years. But uh, I think, you know, things like the IATA Travel Pass and the other digital health apps, they will help but we do need it to be widely adopted you know it's all very well one airline using it or one country saying it's okay we need everyone to kind of go together like you say stop working in in um 
in solo on this and start joining up the dots and making it easier. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things go. And uh, good luck to you if you're stuck in an airport queue this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) I'm jealous that you're flying, but not that much. (laughs) Johnny, it's been really lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, I hope you'll come on again sometime in the future. I'd be delighted, Joe. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And uh, hopefully next time we can do it actually on a plane going somewhere hot and sunny. That would be awesome. I'd love that. (laughs) Well, we hope you enjoyed our podcast. And as usual, welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. To check out more content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.